G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Then, of course, the federal election is coming in May and we're all thinking about the future. And while the economic impacts of elected governments involve things like transport and health and education, well, there are some more dimensions that are becoming an increasing concern. Issues like family, faith, and freedom are also in the mix and there is a growing ideological divide between different sides of politics and to how those issues look for the future. Well, today we're asking the question, where to for family, faith and freedom? And our special guest through this coming hour is Damien Wild, who is the director of the Australian Family Coalition. Now, he came to prominence as one of the leaders of the No Case in the marriage debate a couple of years back. The Australian Family Coalition was set up to defend the family, to promote a society grounded on values and to safeguard the basic freedoms that are under threat today. So, uh, Damien Wild, a special welcome back to 2020 to you. Always a pleasure, Neil. Uh, Damien, I mentioned a little earlier, and I got my fact, I might say, just slightly wrong when I said you were speaking in Perth tonight because you were speaking in Perth last night at the All Nations Presbyterian Church. You, in fact, had an assembled panel of uh, great commentators. Uh, Before we get underway, just a quick reflection on how your meeting went last night. This is part of a national tour you're doing. Uh, How did things go last night? Look, it was a great night, Neil. We had uh, probably about 160 people, which at very short notice uh, was a a great turnout. We had some good speakers. Um, We had uh, Nick Goyran. He's a Liberal NLC from Perth. Um, Also, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, who will probably be known to, uh, I dare say, a lot of your your listeners, who's been a prominent voice for freedom in particular, and James Parker, whose uh, story about same-sex attraction is utterly compelling and his insights into those sorts of issues I think are unparalleled. So it was a really, really good night. And I mentioned too that in Brisbane, for listeners in southeast Queensland, you'll be able to see Damien Wilde speak and uh, it'll be a free event at the Sunnybank Uniting Church tomorrow night and I'll be there too participating in a panel discussion along with Dave Pello, the founder of the Church and State Summits, and also the Federal National Party member for Dawson, George Christensen, also there on the panel, and uh, the invitation there for listeners to be a part of that tomorrow night in Brisbane. Get some details at the ostfamily.com.au website. There's some other dates coming up too, and we'll mention those as we go through our conversation. But Damien, as we reflect on the things that are happening in Australia and some with a attitude of optimism for the future and many, it seems, more with a level of pessimism for the future, uh, we're asking where to today for family, faith and freedom. Uh, give us an overall impression. Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic about what we're facing in the days ahead? Well, I think I've said to you on previous occasions, Neil, it, I feel bad at times that I always feel like the 
the doomsayer in, in many of these conversations, but it's hard not to be at times. Um, you mentioned before a, a growing gulf between the different sides of politics. I don't think we've ever seen an election before where uh, a party has campaigned openly, not just on one, but on multiple social issues. Um, really, this is not the, the entirety of the, the federal election, as you've pointed out. There are so many other issues, everything from the economy to migration, the environment. But for those concerned about family, faith and freedom, there really are three broad areas that I think people need to be incredibly mindful of as they're approaching the May election, which will be called within a matter of weeks. And I would really put them into three large baskets, if you like. The first is abortion. The second is the gender agenda, for want of a better term. And the third is, and this is such a broad one in itself, our freedoms. These three bundles of issues, if you like, um, are just going to be such a prominent part of this election for those who are concerned about them. They really are. Well, this is where I'd like to invite listeners to join in our conversation today. And our talkback line is open now, so we'll take calls as they come through on 1-800-316-316. And uh, you can also leave a note on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Your own thoughts for the future, whether you are optimistic or whether you are a little pessimistic about the days ahead. And what your main concern might be, 1-800-316-316 to join in this conversation today. Uh, you talk about these three main areas, Damien. Uh, out of the three, which one do you think is the most significant? And I think you're going to say they're all really significant. But uh, <laughs> uh, but what are you, uh, Addy, you know, if you're, if you're sort of, you know, this is a good thing, isn't it? To boil things down and say, what is the most significant issue uh, wide-ranging, impacting issue out of the three that you mention? It's, it's really hard to say, as you said, Neil, um, particularly because one of these has really only exploded onto the scene in the last few weeks, namely abortion. Um, it was very much a latecomer to this mix. Labor did change their national platform uh, in December to this extent, but it's really only been the past few weeks that they've made these announcements. Um, had you asked me a year ago, I would have said our freedoms, because... Freedoms actually have a huge interplay with the gender agenda. You know, much of what we see in radical gender ideology has been rolled out at school level, and it's the rights of parents to object to those. It's the rights of parents uh, to have a say as the primary educators of their children in, in what these things look like. So while the gender agenda is important, um, our freedoms perhaps are more fundamental because if we lack the ability to even speak on them, and I'm minded of the woman in the UK recently who called a man a woman, or vice versa, I think, on Twitter and was hauled off by police officers in front of her children and put in a cell for seven hours. We're actually seeing uh, a clear, concrete evidence of how undermining of freedoms actually inhibits our ability to talk about all these other issues. So really, if you put me on the spot and were to ask any one thing, I'd, I'd have to say that. All right, well, let's go with the abortion issue first, and we'll get into issues of freedoms, we'll get into issues of gender as we continue our conversation. But really, sometimes we think about this abortion issue as being just a state-based issue, and uh, you allude to the understanding that Labor has changed its policy federally uh, to fund abortions in public hospitals and this has all of a sudden brought abortion onto the federal 
platform. Uh, give us some insights into just what is happening with that particular push when it comes to abortion funding. Well, I think Labor's thrust in general down the abortion path can really be compared to the way it's gone uh, on marriage. It was a much longer process in the sense that Labor has had a pro-abortion plank in its national platform for many years, but it's always at least granted its MPs a conscience vote on that issue. But now, when we see a a diminishing number of pro-life people remaining within its ranks, I mean, in my own home state, for example, I'm only aware of one a female Labor MP who's not a member of EMILY's list. You know, perhaps there may be more, but um, certainly they're, they're an endangered species. I think this, this new level of uh, determination by Labor to push through abortion as, as a key part of their policy just takes it to a whole new level. For those who aren't, are unaware, the recent Labor announcement was that basically they will seek to influence... Uh, laws across the country. They will seek to make abortion more readily available uh, through public hospitals by virtue of their funding agreements. So as you mentioned, yes, this is a state matter. um, And I've had critics point out that actually federal funding for abortion is already there. You know, we've we've had Medicare funding for it for decades. But basically strong-arming states and territories by financial coercion is something we've really been yet to see. Um, governments of different persuasions have used their their finances over the years to force states to do their bidding, but to do it on a matter of life and death, that's that's something horribly unique. It really is. Now, is this something like a bolt out of the blue, Damien? Because, as I understand it, the coalition doesn't have this as part of any policy platform. Is this something you think that the Labor Party's introduced just to differentiate themselves on this issue and uh, signal to a public that is very pro-death, pro-choice, that somehow or other this is really setting them on a different trajectory? Uh, What are your thoughts for the coalition side and... And, uh, you know, is it altogether good or are there some incredibly difficult elements also on the side of the coalition? Oh, certainly. Um, These sorts of moves would have their supporters on all sides of politics. Well, not all, but most, um, I'm sorry to say. Um, The question you posed as to what's driving Labor to do this, is it electorally popular? I don't think there are too many votes out there to be won or lost to be really blunt about this. Um, it's, um, we see that social issues, either for or against, just don't necessarily drive people to, to park their vote in a certain direction. Um, I was in Melbourne recently and um, shared with some people there voting figures from the past for Philip Nitschke, the prominent euthanasia advocate. Now, we read in polls that euthanasia supposedly commands 80% support in the electorate, and yet when Philip Nitschke put himself up for election, I think he polled roughly 1% in his home state, which was pretty ordinary. So is it electorally popular for Labor to put abortion up as as a key platform issue? Probably not. So why are they doing it? That's the question. And I think the answer is that they are relatively confident of victory at the federal election and they are utterly wedded to concepts like, quote-unquote, reproductive freedom and women's rights. And they are determined to push this through at any cost. Um, your other point about what the public at large feels on the question of abortion, it, it's a nuanced one because 
depending on the question, you'll get a radically different answer. If you ask people whether they support a, a woman's autonomy over her body, well, of course, you're going to get a positive response to that. Likewise, if you ask the average person, do you support uh, abortion of a child at any time, right up to birth, for any reason or no reason, more often than not, you'll, you'll find a very distinct no. And certainly in Queensland, ahead of the state-level debate up there uh, last year, that was, the, that was what the polling produced. So it's a bit of a hodgepodge in all of this, in that uh, Labor determined it would seem to push this through, but the electorate at large just isn't necessarily engaging with the issue. That's the, the paradox we face. All right, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation today, we're talking about family, faith and freedom. And what do you have as an aspiration for the future? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Uh, you can call us 1-800-316-316. In fact, let's take a call from Bill in Ararat in Victoria. Hello, Bill. Welcome along. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, it's uh, the attitude, I think, across the Christian church today is uh, one of fatalism in the fact that uh, the culture seems to be everything that happens is God's will. Now, like you made reference up in Brisbane there <clears throat> about the abortion issue, there was one man up there who'd done eight months jail really because he said abortion is murder. And yet he had free speech on his side, so he had freedom on his side, he had uh, the Constitution on his side, he had the law on his side, but he's the one that got incarcerated. And then some years later, when they had uh, a couple of thousand people outside Parliament House there, uh, with the same message, abortion is murder, but uh, nobody gets arrested. The question I've got to ask is, why uh, or where was the Christian church when the gentleman got uh, jailed in the first place or arrested, even arrested in the first place? number one, and secondly, in the light that there was time in Australia where this was a Christian country, uh, the abortion was against the law, same with uh, homosexuality and uh, same-sex marriage and all the rest of the rubbish that's come in today, it was against the law. So what's happened, and what's happened, I see, is that a damnable heresy has crept into the Christian church called, and you mentioned reference to some of this before, separation of church and state. Now, it was made law in America in 1947, separation church and state. It's never been made law in Australia. So the question is, why have all the churches accepted separation of church and state? So therefore, it makes then Satan's ministers, and that's what they are, under separation of church and state, uh, if they're not God-fearing men, okay, that are ruling the country, then uh, they're a protected species. Bill, there's some good thoughts in there. Let's get a response from Damien. There's a lot in what Bill was saying. I didn't want to pull up Bill short there because he's making a lot of good common sense in those things. But uh, Damien Wild, your thoughts for Bill from Ararat? Definitely a lot to unpack there. Um, firstly, in the case of um, people who are charged and often convicted or fined for their beliefs, um, and perhaps it might be better for me not to comment on, on one individual case, but simply on them collectively because... As time goes by, we are seeing many more of these. Um, you know, I've, I've encountered a number of people who've been um, fined or booked for you know, praying outside an abortion clinic, for example, offering assistance. Um, we've seen people lose their businesses over their, their stance on particularly issues surrounding marriage and sexuality. Um, this is going to become an increasingly difficult area to, to navigate. 
Um, I'm, you know, buoyed by the fact that there are a lot of good uh, things being done in that direction. There are good uh, faith-based uh, legal support for these sorts of um, people. Uh, the Human Rights Law Alliance is one such body that I would definitely point people towards. They do good work. Um, but the question fundamentally about how it came to this and of concepts like separation of church and state, well, it goes without saying that we didn't get here overnight. Uh, and, you know, f forget a, a, a short radio interview on this one. We could write an entire book and people have written books about what has gone wrong. How did we get here? Um, it would be simplistic of me simply to say the church and Christians were complacent or it was just the times or any of these sorts of things, although they all play a part. I think the big question for us now is what to do about it, because this is where we are, for better or worse. And we can wish away the times, we can do our best Frodo from Lord of the Rings impersonation and say, oh, you know, I wish it hadn't been me, you know, why, why are we in such times? But you know, really, victory goes to those who show up, and for Christians, those who pray. Uh, the idea of being fatalistic, um, in a word you mentioned, uh, Bill, and, and certainly I think there is a, uh, a tendency towards many Christians simply to put their hands up and say, well, it's, it's all too hard, it's too late now, what can we do? Um, persistence is 90% of everything, it really is. And even if it's just stemming some of these bad things, much less finally starting to turn things around, I think we have an obligation. Uh, I think we have a duty to do it. Um, so work, pray, and just, you know, soldier on. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. 2020 on Vision. Damien Wilde is our guest. He's the director of the Australian Family Coalition and doing a national tour at present, uh, speaking to interested groups around the nation and in t capital cities. We'll give some more details on how you can be a part of those as a conversation unfolds. Uh, just uh, about five or six minutes out from news, uh, Damien, want to ask you about another one of these major issues uh, that we could be quite pessimistic about, and that is the gender confusion or gender madness, gender craziness, as it's been described. Uh, what are your thoughts for the way that things have changed and uh, with elections looming, how things may well change quite dramatically? Well, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, Labor actually changed their policy on this one, uh, their platform a couple of months ago as well. Um, we had long known that Labor was supportive of safe schools and of replacing it, if not like for like, certainly with something by a different name. Um, over here in Perth, of course, for example, they've rebadged it as inclusive relationships. Um, they're very clever at um, disguising these programs. Um, Labor's new platform calls for, and I quote, um, continuing to support national programs to address homophobia, biophobia, transphobia and anti-intersex prejudice in schools. This includes ensuring gender-diverse students are able to express the gender they identify with. Well, what this simply means is, um, if the election goes a certain way, if we don't see safe schools fully restored across the country, uh, because it, it's in varying states uh, and not in others, um, but we would see this thing in some way, shape or form, rolled out across the country again. And I recall a, um, a policy from the Greens not so long ago that if they had that, their way, they would quadruple the funding that was previously applied to safe schools. So the risk of this post-election uh, entering a school near you is very, very real.
So Labour forming an agenda for and being confident about election coming up in the federal election and the formation of what they'll say is a mandate to implement if they win the election. And so uh, things like the Safe Schools program, as you're saying, uh, are likely to be restored and uh, even supercharged if, uh, if, if somehow or other Labour comes to power. Well, that's the sad irony, Neil. Uh, as I was saying before, social issues, unfortunately, just don't tend to capture the heart of many. So people aren't going to be trotting down to the, the ballot box and saying, I want safe schools in, in Johnny's school. They'll be voting on the economy or the environment and, and other matters. Uh, I think many people are blissfully unaware of, of what these programs are. You would have thought that after uh, the highlighting by people like George Christensen, Corey Benhardy and others in the federal parliament some years ago of what safe schools was, the insidious nature... Uh, of, of undermining um, uh, sexuality and, and true gender identity that it does in schools, it, it somehow still hasn't seemed to have cut through with many people who are really unaware of these things or perhaps think that we're exaggerating them. But really, they're only an inch away from every school across the country. Okay, an inch away from every school across the country, and we're highlighting what the Labour agenda is, but gender issues don't necessarily have political divide, and there'll be those on the coalition side who have similar ideas about gender issues, similar ideas about the Safe Schools program. And, of course, then there are those who are out on the fringes, out on the extremes that are pushing parties one way or another. So far as coalition side, uh, the way that this sort of gender issue actually permeates all sorts of different people and all sorts of different parties, this is a major concern too, Damien. Oh, yes, and, and I'll be quite fair and even-handed with that. I think it was tragic that when um, those good MPs and others I mentioned before highlighted and really put uh, safe schools under the spotlight some years ago, it was a real shame that the coalition government at the time didn't just kill it off immediately. They let the clock tick down and let the fundraising... Sorry, let the funding for that um, conclude and run its natural course. That was a real shame. Um, you know, it's not... Uh, bigotry, it's not hatred to point to these programs and say they have no place in our schools. They undermine parental rights, they confuse our young people and the sooner we're rid of them the better. So all sides of politics in some sense here influenced by the gender agenda but is it fair and uh, is it extreme to say that Labor has been hijacked uh, by the LGBT agenda and therefore uh, that puts them in a pretty bad place when it comes to a contrast to what our Christian values might hold? Well, I mean, the Labor National Platform document, which is considerably long but it's available on their website, if you were to go through and look for every reference to transgender, LGBT or similar, you will find dozens, if not scores of references through a document, uh, which is meant to be the sum total of, of their views on every... Damien, I'm going to and need yes. to cut in because we're about to go to news. Continuing the conversation after Vision National News. OK, we've been talking through issues, abortion, gender. We've mentioned the Safe Schools program. Uh, we're going to be talking some more about freedom as we go, but we're going to let listeners help direct the way our conversation is unfolding this hour. Let's take some more calls. John is on the line from Tasmania. Hello, John. Welcome. G'day, g'day, yeah, John here. John, what are your thoughts for our conversation today? Um, yeah, um, firstly, I'd like to um, encourage everyone who has been calling in um, 
because I got a message the other day from a friend, and uh, this is what it reads, Matthew 10, 26 to 28 from the message. It says, don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. Don't hesitate. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body and soul in his hands. Um, so firstly, the encouragement for all who's called out, you know, my heart's pumping now. It's a, it's a bit of a passionate issue, but, um, you know, that, that initial step to speak, to, to speak up takes a lot of courage. So I'd just like to encourage everybody there first initially. Um, I think importantly um, is one of the first essential things is to keep the dialogue simple, keep the dialogue simple to basic truths. Um, I've read up and, and listened to a lot of Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and um, their agenda um, debates that they go into and, and, you know, what makes up a girl, what makes up a boy? Well, it's just the chromosomes, the XXXY, you know, a boy is, is, is in his DNA, it's written there. You can't change it. You can't change it by opinion or thought or anything. John, you're making some good sense there, and uh, keep it simple, and don't be bluffed into silence. Uh, a thought or two here from Damien Wilde for John in Tasmania. I think it's incredible that John has, um, you know, hit on these two great speakers, Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, and I, I just point to the fact that neither of them are Christian. Um, it, it's incredible that common sense. People have asked me, is Jordan Peterson really saying anything different? Is he saying anything um, really amazing? Or is he just pointing back to common sense that society as a whole seems to have lost? And I, I think they might have cottoned onto something there. Um, the question about um, you know, not being afraid to speak out from a faith perspective, I have nothing to add to what John said. That was just fantastic. From a pragmatic, I guess, worldly sort of sense, there's the old saying, use it or lose it. And it's really important for people to keep reminding each other that they're not alone. They're not alone at all. Um, there are millions of Australians who feel the same way you do uh, across all these different issues. Um, you know, six million Australians plus voted no at the marriage plebiscite two years ago. And many, many, many more Australians, I suspect, are engaging in buyer's remorse and wondering whether the promises that were made that our freedoms would not be infringed upon whether that promise actually holds any water at all. And people are concerned for the future. Now is the time to speak out. Now is the time to encourage each other because you're not alone. Absolutely not. Thank you so much to John in Tasmania. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. Let us in on your insights, whether you're optimistic for the future or whether you carry some of the pessimism that sometimes comes through when we're talking about these sorts of issues and what sort of rocky road there might be ahead. And if you don't use it and you lose it, your free speech we're talking about there, what will that look like for the future as well? We'll get on to some free speech issues in just a few moments but let's take another call emily is on the line from tasmania hi emily good uh, good afternoon how are you <laughs> good well it's yes it is uh, it's a good afternoon in some states where you're it's good afternoon for you yes what are your thoughts emily <laughs> yes it is yes now damon my concerns are go- going to the uh the abortion and uh, in in hospitals uh, I feel very strongly that a woman should not get to that stage 
of a pregnancy where she will need an abortion. We are living in modern times now. Contraception is available. And if a, if a woman is uh, raped, there is the morning after pill. There are methods of um, dealing with this kind of thing so that conception does not take place. So at the end of the day, why are we being forced into this kind of uh, a mindset where uh, abortions are being held in hospitals? Now, what about the health professionals who may have a conscience of conscious objection of being involved in this kind of things. Um, I know for a fact that uh, Britain, they may have changed it now, have offered free contraception to all women. So if a woman who is of reproductive age want, uh, wants to have a pregnancy, then she, she does it out of choice and it's planned. Also, what's happening to all the men who are the fathers of these babies? I think we have lost Emily, and uh, Emily's dropped out somehow. She's made some important points here, and some mm. that take us a little a step deeper, and uh, the morning after pill is, in fact, a uh, an abortive uh, pill too, and and uh, let's save that sort of debate for another day when we might actually focus more seriously on contraception. But I think uh, one of the points I think would be very good to open up about, of course, is if abortion comes into public hospitals, of course there are staff who will have some objection to be in, involved in something that goes against their conscience. Perhaps let's pick up on that direction there, Damien. Yeah, well, it's certainly... Uh it's certainly a minefield, that one. Um, Victoria, unfortunately, led the way in 2008 with their abortion laws in terms of stripping away the right to conscientious objection which had previously existed there. And that has not been without consequence. Um, I'm aware of uh, at least one doctor who's had to leave that state uh, because you know, he wasn't willing to compromise on his beliefs. Um, I'm sure there are probably more. There was at least one doctor I'm aware of who's actually fallen foul of the law. Um, it's, it goes without saying that we are going to see those sorts of laws extend further across the country. Um, the South Australian Greens bill right now, which is seeking to liberalise abortion laws in that state, uh, would put it into a grey area. It would not um, compel doctors and medics to refer for abortion or to participate in the process, but it does delete the existing protections that currently exist which means that if you treat abortion just like any other health matter, which is what they're claiming they want to do, then really it begs the question of uh, you know, medical codes of practice and what rights these people have to object. Because really, if you're just treating it like any other elective procedure, it's very hard to see that you've got a leg to stand on. So uh, freedom of conscience is going to be an incredibly difficult area going forwards for those affected by it. And not just uh, at one end of the life spectrum. You know, We haven't talked today about euthanasia, but really at all ends of, of the spectrum when it comes to life matters um, this removal of conscientious objection is going to cause a, a lot of difficulty for those engaged in those fields okay thank you so much to emily from tasmania 1-800-316-316 and uh, running not short of time just yet and so there's time for some more calls uh, just to reflect on one facebook comment from brad who says my concern is that labor's values are clearly articulated and opposed to core christian values such as abortion freedom of religion etc i'm concerned that much of labor's playbook seems to be taken straight from the communist manifesto now uh, without getting 
too deeply here again too, uh, there is this terminology that floats around uh, called cultural Marxism and uh, that does come from a communist manifesto and a quick comment there for uh, Brad from you, Damien. Well, another topic on which entire books have been written, um, where to start on that one. And yet... um, more recent offerings from the, the so-called progressive side of politics seem completely uh, outside the, the comprehension of many Christians, indeed many people involved in the sort of field that I am. Um, there are more recent um, Marxist writers like Saul Alinsky, who wrote a, a seminal book in the 1970s called Rules for Radicals, about basically how to take these ideas, go in, into the institutions and permeate society. And yet, well-meaning Christians who've been involved in these sorts of debates for decades have never heard of this man. Um, Hillary Clinton wrote her thesis on him, and Barack Obama was trained, um, you know, in accordance with those principles as a community organizer. So these sorts of ideas, these sorts of methods, uh, have now found their way to Australia through organisations like GetUp, and at a, a more base level, uh, that cultural Marxism um, concept that you refer to, Neil. Many people have adopted it completely unconsciously, completely unknowingly. Uh, it's a great leveller of society and, and it's a tragic thing that it goes about its business without really either its proponents or opponents really aware of it. Let's take another call. Angela is on the line from Tamworth in New South Wales. Hello, Angela. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much. Angela, um, what are your concerns? Um, my concern is the concept about the autonomy of women and just what um, definition is being imposed on that concept, as though the woman has the right to um, have an abortion um, done upon her body, whereas really it should be um, a flipped sort of comment um, in terms of um, the autonomy not to have the body violated, and that goes for men and women, not to have their bodies violated. And this term... Autonomy for women just seems to be being flipped and twisted in terms of being pro-abortion. It does seem to be that way. A quick comment from Damien. Language is such a powerful thing, and too often we seem to be the underdogs uh, on any of these debates because the language is imposed upon us. The battleground is therefore already set. I mean, the word abortion itself, the word termination itself are utterly euphemistic. Even the idea of reproductive rights, well, guess what? By the time you're talking about an abortion, reproduction has well and truly happened. Um, So yes, language is an incredibly powerful thing. We need to all be, I think, much more mindful of the words and phrases we use, and we need to start picking the most appropriate and most truthful of those words. Thank you so much to Angela from Tamworth. Uh, Look, well, there's still callers waiting, but I don't want to miss the opportunity while we have it to talk about another one of these uh, planks, these pillars that we're talking about today. We're talking about family and faith, and uh, those things have been discussed, but our freedoms we haven't given a lot of attention to. But this comes down to what happens on a frontline situation with uh, the changes that could happen in schools, uh, employment, uh, and uh, enrolments, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, Damien, your concerns for our freedoms, freedom of religion, uh, freedoms of parents to be able to decide how their children are taught. What are your thoughts for freedoms and the big uh, challenge there? Yeah, I, I don't even know where to start with this one, Neil. As a father myself, I'm incredibly concerned about it. 
uh, and my children go to a private school. Despite that, um, I'm fearful of where the direction is moving for all of the education system in our country because this idea that we can go and hide, we can bunker down and try to ride it out is just a furphy. Even the idea, I think, that many that um, homeschoolers will be exempt from all of this in the wash-up is not true either. We've seen in foreign jurisdictions where homeschooling has been banned. So I say that at the outset to point to the fact that everybody has a stake in this. Schools really is the thin end of the wedge on our freedoms. So how did this come about? Well, obviously, we know last year that the, the Ruddock Report recommendations were leaked to manufacture a crisis, um, you know, this non-existent issue of gay students uh, being expelled from schools um, to try and put us on the back foot and push this issue through, as I, as I said, the thin end of the wedge. If we let this through, then it begs the question of what's next. And uh, church-based NGOs and charities, the churches themselves, all of these bodies will be at risk in terms of being able to maintain their, their beliefs, their values, their ethos, and everything that goes with it. People are asking the question now, but it isn't just a student, isn't it someone's employment? Oh, what about the gardener or the handyman at the school? Does it really matter what he believes or you know how he lives his life? It's something much more fundamental than that. It really goes to the heart of the school's ability to live out its beliefs because if you start pegging that back in one area, there's no reason to draw the line anywhere. And secondly, the right of parents to choose over their child's education. Both of these things are at risk. And of course, a school's right to be able to teach according to its ethos really is the extension of what the church teaches. Because when you talk about those private, uh, those independent, those Christian schools, uh, if they are going to be suppressed in what they can teach by the government, isn't that, Damien Wilde, simply a suppression of the Christian truth that is being taught in churches and isn't the next step beyond that to even suppress churches in what they can teach when they want to teach a, a biblical faith. Absolutely, Neil. It's an assault on the churches who operate those schools and it's an assault on a different type of church as well. You've, you've possibly heard the family referred to as the domestic church and really parents in sending their children to these schools are not abdicating, abdicating or abrogating their rights as primary educators of their children. They're simply outsourcing it. They're effectively involving the schools and the churches that run them in that process. So not only are we seeing the churches attacked in this, this debate on schools, we're also seeing parents and families attacked as well. This is much bigger than first meets the eye. Yes, a censorship of the church and uh, that, if you think and reflect on that, is very, very serious. Let's take another call. Michael is on the line from Brisbane. Hi, Michael. Hi, hi. How are you going? Very well. Michael, you need to be quick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, just two things. One is um, our, we know that our freedom as, as followers of Christ is going to be attacked, um, but it doesn't mean that we've just got to lay down. And the other thing that uh, was brought to my mind was the um, uh, what's stopping now? They they make abortions. Uh, you can just get rid of any kid that you want to. Um, you know, a, a child just before it's born and it, oh, it's got a deformity. So so let's flick it off and um, you know uh, go for another one. So it's it's like uh, it's almost like breeding dogs. You know, if it doesn't. Us, we just knock it on the head, which is, you know, where is our society heading? 
Michael, good thoughts in there. A quick response from Damien. Well, you know, the case you mentioned of deformities and so on, those are the cases that used to be brought on by you know, proponents of abortion as the so-called hard cases to try and uh, gain sympathy and push these things through. With the debates we're seeing now, they're not even bothering to resort to those hard cases anymore. In fact, Tanya Plebersek just a few weeks ago wrote an opinion piece um, in, in a newspaper in which she said, and I, I don't have the exact quote, but it was something like, it would be a tragedy if a woman brought a child into the world because she couldn't afford a termination. So she was reducing it to a, a mere question of finances. Now, surely in a society like ours, as affluent as ours, no matter what the, the difficulties of the day are with our economy and drought and everything else, the fact that we would let a mother end her child's life because we couldn't afford to help them, that that in itself would be a tragedy. But the, the fact that this has been used now as an argument just shows the depth to which this debate has fallen. Um, but finally, just a word of encouragement. Uh, you mentioned before, you know, nothing that can be done. I, I always reflect on that that great C.S. Lewis quote, um, and again, I don't have the exact one on me, but he said something like, it's a great thing to be found at one's post as a child of God, living each day as though it were our last, but planning as though our world might last 100 years. Good thoughts, and uh, thank you so much to everyone who has participated in our conversation today. Thank you to Michael from Brisbane. We'll have to put a line under the calls. Uh, time has run out. Uh, Damien Wilde is the director of the Australian Family Coalition and he's going to be in Brisbane, part of a national tour, tomorrow night. And for listeners in southeast Queensland, uh, you can be a part of that uh, conversation. It'll be a panel discussion. There'll be some presentations. Damien Wilde will be one of the speakers at a free event at the Sunnybank Uniting Church. It's on tomorrow night. I'm going to be there too and participating in that panel discussion along with Dave Pello, the founder of the Church and State Summits and also the Federal National Party member for Dawson, George Christensen. Now that's tomorrow night. You can get the details of how to find the Sunnybank Uniting Church at ostfamily.com.au. That's where you can register to be a part of that event. A successful event in Perth last night. More coming in the uh, Sydney region, 10th of April, 11th of April in Canberra, and then more meetings planned for Melbourne, Adelaide and Hobart. So ostfamily.com.au, that's the website for the organisation that Damien Wilde leads. The, he's the director of the Australian Family Coalition. Damien, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. I look forward to being a part of uh, panel discussions about some of the big issues that we're facing for our future. Future. Thanks for being with us today on 2020. Thanks again, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.